The hell this of week, hell is that it's forever. No joy, no music, no light, no peace, no laughter ever again because the only reason these were experienced on earth is because they're the gifts of God. And when you go to hell and separated from God, you're separated from the source who gives you these things. Never again will there be joy for those who refuse to glorify God with their life. And you would think a warning like that, so loving, the fact that we are given that warning, it would, it would convince everybody, but it doesn't because the pull of the world is so strong. It says that this will never happen, that prosperity will never end. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. I've shared with you a, a number of occasions that one of the best ways to interpret or get a feel for what a Bible passage is talking about is just trying to find the words that are used over and over again. And when you come to Revelation 18, the phrases that are used a lot are weeping and mourning. There's a lot of crying that's going on in Revelation 18. And it's mainly crying of political leaders and business leaders because of the loss of their stuff, the loss of their possessions, the destruction of a city called Babylon, which represents all of the uh, cultural rebellion in every city in the world. We'll look first at the, the crying of the merchants uh, who operate their businesses on land. Revelation 18, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her that's Babylon, because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, fine linen, bronze, <clears throat> iron, and marble. So all of these things in these verses are glorious. They're things that God created, but they became <clears throat> idols, gods to these people because they treated them as ultimate things over the God who gave them. And that's why God is in the business here in Revelation 18 of destroying these cities they worshiped things more than God. And that was true of the people who trafficked business also on the sea. Every sea captain, all who traveled by ship and all who earned their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of the cities burning, they will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe to you, great city where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. So all of these people are crying for the same reason. They lost their stuff. And all of their hope was in their possessions, in their prosperity. And when it was gone, their hope was gone because their God was their stuff. Um, I'd like to ask you at the beginning of this message today, what causes you to weep? Um, what causes your heart to groan? What causes you to, to, to moan and to cry when you think about life is, is it, do, do you weep over the suffering of our world? Do you weep over the fact that so many people don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel in closed countries around the world, poor countries around the world? Or do you weep simply because you didn't get all the stuff that you wanted to in life? Are you most sad because you're missing out on something in the world? This is certainly what is the problem with materialistic, a materialistic God, as in we see in Revelation 18. The whole chapter is dedicated to one subject, and that is the despair that people feel when their material possessions and prosperity is gone. And God's judging these people because of the wrong priority 
of possessions. And here's the world's value system summarized in two statements. Do whatever it takes to gain material prosperity and put your hope in material prosperity. And that is certainly the driving force of the world. And it's not uncommon that it touches deeply even those in the church. Um, Last week, we made sure we slowed down to see that the most important thing in life, the goal of life, it was so clear in chapter 18 and especially 1 Corinthians 10, 31, to live your life in thanksgiving to God and honor him that he's the source of every pleasure and blessing you have on earth. We looked at a verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink coffee in the lobby, you do all of that for the glory of God because no one else ultimately gave you that pleasure other than God. That's the, that's the biblical goal, biblical purpose of living, and the world totally disagrees with that. Revelation 18, 7, she'll be judged because of this verse. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. So the values of the world... Live for your giving yourself credit for anything that you've accomplished and try to accumulate as much as you can in this world. Jesus gave us the biblical worldview uh, that was so beautifully summarized in one verse in Matthew. Um, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Paraphrase. Worship God, serve God, and let him to decide how much stuff you get in life. Uh, He gives some people a lot, some people less, but your focus is not on the stuff, your focus is on the honor and service of God. The worldview of Babylon is just the opposite. Seek first to build your own kingdom and then make your kingdom bigger and bigger. So the people of Babylon do not rejoice in God. They rejoice in their own greatness and how they can become greater and greater in material possessions. How powerful is the pull of the world? Probably a lot more powerful than you would like to admit. (laughs) Uh, It's so powerful that it touches every nation on earth. Revelation 18, for all nations, all ethnicities, have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So there's not a place on earth where the um, spirit of the world that says the goal of life is to acquire things, it touches everybody and it controls almost everyone. You know, there's probably a universal, almost a universal agreement that there is a supreme being in the world, especially with the new rise of intelligence design. Hard to argue that there's not an intelligent designer somewhere. So I think most people would agree intellectually, there is this force called God who would be the most powerful force in the world and the uh, smartest force in the world. So intellectually, almost everybody would agree there is God. But then there's, that's an intellectual God, but most people don't live according to the God they know intellectually. There's a functional God. And that is who really determines the way they make decisions. 
And a lot of times the intellectual God is far different than the functional God because the functional God is the world. How they make decisions is based on what the world tells them to value. And once the world becomes your functional God, you'll do anything to have it bless you. You'll just say, what, 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 what do I do? And you look to the world. You look, the advice of the world is what you take for what is important. And that's why the chapter begins with this sense of urgency that we have already described as the most important verse in the chapter. Come out of her. This is the plea of God to all people, stop living according to the world's values that material possessions are the most important thing in life. Stop following the world. How strong does the world pull at us things, stuff? Um, there's a story in the Old Testament, very interesting, when God sent two angels to the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the two most wicked cities in antiquity and maybe all time. So the angels were sent at night and gave this warning to one man, a follower of God named Lot. Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. So the angels were sent by God to tell them that the next day the city would be destroyed. And the next morning the angels repeated this warning. Now you would think if you got a warning from two angels, two warnings from two angels, it'd be enough. But even after the second warning, look, when Lot hesitated, didn't want to leave the world, the men grasped, these angels grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. If you want to know why you're saved, why you're included in the kingdom of God, it's that verse right there. God's persistent, merciful pursuit of you when you do not believe him the first time or the second time or maybe the thousandth time. That's what he has to do because the world has us so much, we keep believing, surely I don't have to come out of the world. Surely the world's not that bad. Surely it doesn't have that much influence in my life. Well, um, the angels gave them one final instruction as they fled the city. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. So this leads us to the second hesitation. This time not by Lot, the husband, but by his wife, Mrs. Lot. We don't know her name. <laughs> but um, it was the most costly decision of her life when she hesitated. And she did because of her love for the world. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, destroying all those living in the cities. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. This verse is haunting to me. Every nerve, ligament, muscle, cell in her body, every inch of her skin, all the chemicals of her body in one moment were transformed into one chemical, NACL, table salt. Because of her love for the world, her disbelief in God to come out of the world and not live by the world's values. Um, you know, 
it's a, this whole story was given to us because we have trouble believing that the world is really that dangerous. In fact, Jesus picked up on that story when he was discussing with people the timing of his return, the second coming. Everybody thinks Jesus is about to return now because of what's going on in Israel and it happens every time this cycle happens. And oh, we know when he's gonna return. He said he would return when no one is expecting it and everybody's living for the world. This is how he described the time of his second coming, Luke 17. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. So business commerce was great. They weren't thinking about the Lord's return. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the, the day the Son of Man is revealed, the second coming. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Again, a reminder, the world is, is being destroyed and you still have the temptation. I gotta go inside and get my stuff. Jesus said, don't do that. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. The reason Jesus gave us this warning in the book of Luke and in the book of Revelation is because the world never stops pulling at us. It's so powerful. And that's why Jesus says, come out of her and do not share in her sins. How much does the world tell you what to do? Oh, more than you would ever care to admit. It tells us what to buy, what to value, what to wear, who to admire, what to go after, what to say, what not to say. I'm telling you, the world is immensely Strong, and it definitely tells us that what we need more than anything in life is possessions. Two values of the world. Material prosperity is the ultimate thing that can satisfy me, and I must do whatever it takes to acquire material prosperity. If, if that doesn't ring home to you, you're just not honest. You know that's what you hear, you feel in your heart. My answer is more stuff. If I just had more stuff, I'd be happy. You know, when you read Revelation 18, you always have to ask the question, before it means anything to us, you go, why did John write that to them? Because this is why I don't like the way people teach Revelation of saying, well, the church is uh, primarily in most of the book, the church is raptured out of it and there's just no church there. Well, then why did he write that? Who's he writing it to? He's writing it to the church because he knows that the pull of the world is so strong, it has infected all of us that we too tend to think this way. In the early church, if you wanted a job and you had the, uh, the skill of being a silversmith, your primary uh, option was to join a guild, a trade guild, a silver guild, and they worshiped the, sil the God of silver. And they had office parties that they gave sacrifices to the God of silver. And when you told them, I want to work my craft, but I'm not going to worship your gods, you would likely be not employed. 
or fired. So the temptation of the early church, the believers was, I'll just compromise just a little. Go to the parties, say what they want me to say for money. And I like how Kevin DeYoung sums up this part of the argument in Revelation 18. He says, don't, com- don't compromise with Babylon to be rich. Don't think that riches will make you secure. Yeah, that's, it just, we know that. We know how much that pulls on our hearts. Many Christians are willing to do what the world tells them to do. And God says, come out of her. John not only wrote, you know, Revelation, come out of her, but he wrote to another church prior to this. Um, in 1 John, maybe even a stronger admonition. 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. I mean, hard to miss that five times in those verses. Talks about the pull of the world on the believer's heart to envy the world, to put your hope in the world, to chase after the world, and to compromise in order to have the approval and blessings of the world. Revelation 18 describes two ways in which we are tempted to compromise in order to have the world's approval and its prosperity. To, number one, to discard integrity, and two, to devalue people. The discarding of integrity is found in verse nine of Revelation 18. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and shared her luxury. So in order to gain more comfort, luxury possessions, uh, they, they compromised. That's what the adultery is talking about in the verse. It's could be marital, but primarily it's your relationship with God, becoming unfaithful to the great lover of the universe, God. Uh, just become unfaithful to God for a little bit in order to gain possessions. The people do this all the time, professionally in their businesses and personally in their lives, willing to cheat, willing to lie, willing to not tell all the truth. Just compromise in order that it will not cost them financially, in order to be blessed by and approved by the world. Then the second way in which we, uh, the world goes after wealth is to devalue people. I read a little bit about the list of the cargo that all these people trafficked in, but I didn't finish reading it in verse 13 a minute ago. Here's the end of the list. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine and olive oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. This is the world. Throughout history, slavery has existed when the leaders of nations thought it was economically worthwhile. Now, obviously, we're very familiar with this and our own country prior to the Civil War and emancipation when four million slaves in the American South bought and sold for money. 
But since the beginning of time, this has occurred. In the ancient world, slaves were used for much of the heavy labor of building and sustaining cities. Many of these slaves were former citizens of countries that had been conquered in war. One country conquers another, and its citizens now become the slaves of the conquering country. And when that country went to war, it was the slaves that were put on the front line of battle and were killed first. Slavery played a huge part in uh, the dynasties of China and uh, the building up of Egypt, pyramids, all that. Then it continued to grow with the Mayans and the Aztecs. Aztecs were interesting. They were known for the building of their great temples and those temples were built by slaves and the first sacrifices that were offered on the altars of the temples were the slaves. They built the altar and then were killed on the altar. 1580 BC, around there, East African kings sold their own people to the Persians and the Ottomans for financial gain. It was the kings that did it, put their people up for sale. The classical period of uh, Athens, Greece, a third of the population of Athens was enslaved. It was even uh, much more in the Roman Empire. Spain and Italy, if you look at the the coastline of Spain and Italy in the 1600s, the population was sparse, if non-existent, because everybody in these countries had already been taken off as slaves and the rest tried to flee for safety. There was nobody on the coastlines. You would think it would be better in our day, but it's worse. Today, as of 2021, you could read these statistics anywhere, 50 million people live in modern slavery in the world. 28% of these people are, are, are forced slavery mines, labor work camps. 22% of the 50 million are in forced marriages. But their freedom is taken away. Of the 14 million people who are in forced slavery, are enslaved by their governments. And 23% of the 14 million are enslaved by commercial sexual exploitation. And one in eight of those in forced labor are children, 3.3 million. And that number of those uh, who were in forced slavery, the 50 million, that number has increased in the past five years, not decreased. And, and guess who's doing it? Modern slavery occurs in almost every country in the world and cuts across ethnic, cultural, and religious lines. More than half of all forced labor and a quarter of all forced marriages can be found in upper middle income or high income countries. It is the wealthy who are enslaving people around the world. So now you can understand when you look at the judgment of God in Revelation 18 on Babylon, why the wrath of God falls upon these elite. Throughout history, most of the world's powerful people are so hungry for wealth, they are willing to use and discard people. And so often... Their gain is at the cost or 
in connection with war. This is especially true in government uh, where conflicts and wars which lead to the suffering of innocent people are often connected to money and power. That is, governments will start wars just so private industry somewhere can make money off the suffering of people. Well, it would be easy to throw stones at everybody else. Let's throw stones at ourselves. Look again, Revelation 18, the problem with not loving God is you don't love people. When you don't love the God of the world who created people, you don't love people who created in his image. And so all of us can fall prey to this. All of a sudden, you, you don't love, when you don't love God, you don't love the people that he sent into your life. You don't see people as precious, valuable, that need nurturing and protecting. You're willing to use them or you're willing to run over them if they get in your way. You may not be a slave owner, but if you're a business owner, you certainly have to ask the question, uh, how are my employees doing? How are they, do I pay them fairly for uh, the, the profit they yield to the company? Am I good to them? Do I treat them with compassion? Do they feel safe working here, honored working here, or do they feel like they are just here to make money for me? If you're a parent, you have to ask this question, what is, what is my relationship with the people that God has placed in my life, my children? Do you work so much just to be able to give them what the world says they should have, and that is stuff? And so therefore, when you are raising them, what you're teaching them is by how much you give them that what's really important, the, the God that will save them is possessions because they've seen you work all the time to give them that. Not, not working hard at discipling them, not working hard at praying with them, but working hard to give them possessions. And how can these children ever think there's anything in the world other more, more important than God, uh, more important than possessions because that's all they've really learned from what you've, you've given them. And for all of us here in the church, we have to ask a question of, well, how do we feel about human beings? Has our pursuit of possessions and putting our security in that blinded us to the suffering of the world and the need for the world to hear of Christ? Two of the biggest verses I know. You remember last week we looked at five ways to glorify God with our body? Uh, there was a number six I didn't have time for, but we can glorify God, bring honor to God by using our body to give of our finances. Two verses that speak about that. First one's in 2 Corinthians 9, written to a church in Corinth, Greece. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. There's that word again that we looked at last week, doxa, glorify, make a big deal of God. Others are gonna make a big deal about God. Find delight in God, why? For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. There are people all around the world today that are hearing the good news of Christ in the middle of their suffering. There are clinics that are built in their villages, water wells in their villages. They have food because you gave. Across the way over at the Hope Point Kids right now, one of our 
our workers in India who's in charge of through rice bowls that we partner with. 30, they oversee 31 orphanages, feed, I don't know, maybe about 1,200 children a day in 31 because people that are blessed with money are giving so children can eat. And these children praise God because of the generosity of those who've been blessed. Another verse, it talks how we can glorify God with our uh, giving. First Timothy 6, verse 17, Paul writing to a pastor what to say to his church, so I feel pretty good here. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, uh, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So after you look at all of those words, it really boils down to um, two things. Where's your hope? That's sort of that, the question. Is your hope in wealth or is your hope in God? And everyone here has already answered that question by the way you handle your money. If your hope is in God, you will give to the purposes of God. You'll give to the mission of Christ because you'll believe he'll take care of you. I can give away what he asked me to give away because he's gonna take care of me and he will reward me in his time and his way. I don't get to determine when and how, but he will. It's, if your hope is in God, you trust God. I mean, my goodness, he's numbered the hairs of my head. He's ordained the days that I'll live. I can trust him with money. So what you do with money determines where you have placed your trust. I'll tell you who trusted God with money was Jim Elliott, uh, missionary. Uh, did not put his trust in the promise of American money. Left the States uh, to go reach the Quechua Indians in uh, Ecuador, South America. Uh, before he left, he wrote in his journal, October 28th, 1949. He never thought anybody would read his journal. I mean, this is just between God and him and wrote a quote that has become quite famous. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So Jim Elliott did go to uh, South America, and while he was trying to make contact with, with the Aka uh, Wadoni tribe, uh, he was speared to death and died on a beach there. Uh, and you have to ask the question, along with four of the missionaries, he had to ask the question, was he a fool? No, he, he left that beach, went straight to heaven. It's not a fool to trust God with your life. I'll tell you what is foolish is to trust the world when it says it will take care of you. And look what happens to the world. Revelation 18.10, woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city, city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. It's amazing. The world has gotten away with the way it lives, belittling God, mocking God uh, for thousands of years. And then in one hour, the judgment of God comes and everything the world has put its hope in is gone. I was reading this week from 1920 to 1929, what we call the Roaring Twenties. 
The middle class in the United States, their income doubled in nine years. That's pretty amazing. From 1922 to 1929, the gross national product of the United States increased by 40%. So it looked like this is an unstoppable, untouchable nation. And then October 29th, 1929, the most disastrous stock market crash of all time. In just a matter of hours, the Dow Jones lost 89% of its value to a nation that looked unstoppable just a week before. And that's just a tiny glimpse of what is coming when God judges this materialistic uh, world. What's so devastating about this global crash is uh, it lasts forever. With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bride and bridegroom will never be heard in you again. The hell of hell is that it's forever. No joy no music, no light, no peace, no laughter ever again because the only reason these were experienced on earth is because they're the gifts of God. And when you go to hell and separated from God, you're separated from the source who gives you these things. Never again will there be joy for those who refuse to glorify God with their life. And you would think a warning like that, so loving, the fact that we are given that warning, it would, it would convince everybody, but it doesn't because the pull of the world is so strong. It says that this will never happen, that prosperity will never end. Satan is the master of lies and that's his best one. That you can chase after the world, live for the world, and it's just gonna go unnoticed by God. And this is the most haunting verse in chapter 18. Is really at the beginning of the chapter. Her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. For those who live for the world and insist that God is not worthy of devotion, God will remember that. Every time God tried to speak to your conscience and you resisted, he will remember that moment. Every time God blessed you and you took credit for it, God will remember that. Every time you ignored the Bible, mocked the church, failed to place your trust in Christ, God will remember that. Every lie you told, God will remember. Every gossip you spread, God will remember. Every word from your mouth that was wrong, God will remember. Every impure thought in your brain, God will remember. He will forget nothing. There's another option. There's an option, you can believe the gospel. You can believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. The entire message of the Bible is either the prediction or the telling of the coming of Christ. That he has come as the son of God to live in the body of a man perfectly for 33 years so that he could offer his body on a cross so that while he suffered and died in his dying, 
The wrath of God was poured out on his own son for all the moments in our life when our priorities and our behavior and our responses were wrong to God. And Jesus died for them all. So you can either have God remembering how you've lived or you could put your, put your faith in Jesus Christ, turn away from the world and put your trust in Jesus. And then now this verse applies to you. Hebrews 8, 12, I will remember their sins no more. Or if you like a modern translation to get the rest of you clapping, <laughs> I will never again remember their sins. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.